Welcome back to Cthulhu Light Show, your one-stop shop for nerd news you've already heard and opinions you don't need. On today's episode, we'll be discussing uh, some nerd news, and then the whole games as a service thing, and sp more specifically, Google Stadia. Oh, and I'm Dakota. I'm Brian. And, wow, you sound great. Yeah, we, uh, we had to switch some shit up because, uh... Our recording remotely was fucking us up, so we're recording in person today. And so hopefully that, that uh, fixes a lot of problems. Th this, this one will be one of the good episodes, hopefully. Probably not. So, while I struggle to find a good transition, let's drop into some nerd news. Hell yeah. Okay, so the first thing we were going to talk about for news is that the Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, which has been in development since 2015... Uh, was pushed back to April 10th of 2020. Um, that's not a huge push, considering uh, I believe it was originally supposed to come out in early March. Yeah, March 3rd. So, not not a huge deal. Um, there are a few weird things about the remake that we consider talking about, like uh, it's going to be released episodically, which is a bit strange for the series. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what the idea is with that, besides, you know... Avoiding deadlines. Yeah. But uh, here's the deadline. I think as far as we know, it's one flat rate to buy the whole thing, so... Um, the, the telltale method. Yeah. This will probably tie back into our larger discussion about games and services. Uh, producer Yoshinori Kitase, I'm, I'm sure I butchered that, yeah. uh, shared a message saying, like, Everyone's looking forward to the remake. We need to give our team a few more weeks to polish everything up to make sure it's as good as it can be. Because mm -hmm. uh, the old adage from old Shiggy Migimoto, a rushed game is bad forever, but a delayed game can eventually be good, or something like that. That's how Breath of the Wild got made. Also how Skyward Sword got made. Really? So, yeah. So, uh, what's going on in uh, in movie news, Dakota? Oh man, alright, this is an interesting one. So, remember MGM? Uh, they had a lion. Yeah, they have the Roaring Lion. Yeah, and that's like their whole claim to fame. Also, they're like a hundred-year-old company. Yeah. People um, just know the lion now, though. Huh? People just know the lion now, though. Oh, yeah, 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 that's all it is. Regardless, MGM, as you know, doesn't have a streaming service yet. Which, I don't know why they would. Everyone's got a streaming service. Yeah, dipshits. Late to the party. Dumb boomers. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, but... More seriously, apparently MGM is in early talks with companies like Netflix and Apple to buy them out. And MGM, for those of us who don't know or don't care enough to actually look up what they do, besides releasing, you know, classic movies, they do own the rights to several major movie franchises, like, well, the James Bond series. Mm -hmm. that's, that's popular still, I think. Yeah. And so less... Popular, but still very favorable, like, uh, Rocky, Mad Max, which I, I love Mad Max, mm -hmm. and RoboCop. Yeah, which they never seem to really know what to do with RoboCop, but I think there's a lot of potential there for... Even now? I think potentially. I, I think what a lot of people miss is that the original is, like, 100% a satire. And, uh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was intended as, like, a satire. Huh. Um, but, uh, yeah. And, and... The Bond thing is interesting because they acquired Bond pretty recently. Um, if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure Sony owned Bond for the longest time. I think part of the reason this is Daniel Craig's last film coming up as James Bond is because it's changing hands. Or it already has changed hands, I'm not sure. But so that makes me think maybe they were just trying to kind of boost their portfolio, so to speak, to make themselves um, as appealing as possible to potential investors. Um... How do you feel about Netflix and Apple possibly buying up a, a big, like, historic movie studio like that? Um, I I don't feel good about it, mm. but in the same vein, I'm more favorable to it than, say, if it came out that Disney were right. looking into buying MGM. Right, yeah. Yeah, I'm never a huge fan of hearing that one huge corporation is going to absorb another corporation. Um, but Disney has been doing that for a long time, um, and frankly, I think the only thing that's really going to stand in Disney's way right now is if a large company like Netflix does buy up a studio and start being competitive in Hollywood, not just in terms of streaming. 
Also, Disney Plus was a real blow to Netflix, and I think they desperately need, feel like they need to like expand their library. And buying MGM, as you just like explained, would really expand their library. Oh yeah, bringing um, in the Bad Max films, the James Bond films, mm-hmm. and arguably uh, that could steal The Handmaid's Tale away from Hulu, yeah. which The Handmaid's Tale also apparently is a thing that they made. Okay. So they're still doing stuff, which is good. That is good. Uh, speaking of people doing things, uh, Brian, the, the, you go ahead on this one. Right, okay, so The Thing is uh, apparently has another remake in the works from Universal and Blumhouse. For anybody who doesn't know, The Thing has a long and slightly complicated history. Probably most famously, John Carpenter uh, remade The Thing in the 80s, and it's like a seminal piece of horror film. Uh, that's probably one of the best Lovecraftian horror pieces uh, ever, you know, committed to film. It's a great movie. I really love it. Even Dakota's seen it, and we're both pretty pretty big weenies for horror, so I think that's a pretty good sign that we've both seen it and enjoyed it. I am what uh, horror fans would call a bitch. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But uh, the 80s version was also renowned for being like a master class in how to do practical effects right. And they, the, the practical effects do, for the most part, hold up very well. But uh, John Carpenter's The Thing was itself a remake of a movie from the 50s, uh, which I think was called The Thing from Outer Space? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it was very different. It was about, like, a vegetable man from outer space. I think they electrocuted it to death. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've never seen it. It was considered a classic at the time, but I think Carpenter's version is generally considered superior. Honestly, um, I thought Carpenter's was the first one. Yeah, well, whenever anybody ever says, is there such a thing as a good remake, people always mention The Thing. But the original Thing from the 50s was based on a novella, uh, which was written by John W. Campbell Jr. And the novella that he wrote was actually called Who Goes There? But it was roughly the same premise as Carpenter's Thing. You know, this new remake is kind of complicated because it's not a remake of Carpenter's Thing, necessarily. We already did that in 2011, and that movie was a huge mess in of itself that we won't get into here. Um, but in 2011, they remade it, and now they're remaking it again, but they're remaking it because the original novel version of the source material was recently discovered in 2018. Um, so for the longest time, we thought Who Goes There, the novella, was the true source material. But in fact, there was an unpublished version called Frozen Hell, which was novel length, and apparently the author just couldn't get it published. So the, they're remaking the thing, again, with the kind of claim that they're being true to the author's original vision. Um, which, like, alright. It's better than just saying, hey, this was popular 40 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, watch it again. Yeah, it it could be worse. It could be Ghostbusters, where they're like, oh, we did a failed reboot in 2016. What if we did another reboot in 2020 already? Ghostbusters had one good movie. Yes, it did, yeah. And it was the original Ghostbusters. And some people liked a cartoon and some toys. But, like, that was a while ago. And less popular, yeah. So, yeah, um, I'm not a fan of the, you know, remaking that movie necessarily, but uh, at least they have, like, kind of a, a reason to do it now. Yeah, and is an easier way to swallow rehashing nostalgia. Yeah. But speaking of weird ways to harness nostalgia, Atari is building eight video game-themed hotels across the U.S. It's so weird. It's bizarre. Out of nowhere. Yeah. We're getting eight video game-themed hotels, not from Nintendo, no. not from Sony, not from Microsoft, not even Sega. Surprised we haven't gotten, like, a Minecraft hotel yet. That'll happen. We'll look into that. That'll happen. Yeah. But, but yeah, Atari. 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 The decrepit grandfather of video games. Yeah, the the guys who almost accidentally murdered the video game industry. And now they're in the hotel business? Yeah, man. Because anyone can start a hotel, apparently. It's not just a hotel, bro. It's an experience. That's true. Speaking of, the hotels will have quote-unquote, immersive gaming experiences, including augmented and virtual reality. Wow. Yeah. Like I had said, the Atari hotels are coming to eight cities, uh, among which 
San Francisco, Seattle, Las Vegas, because there's not enough hotels in Las Vegas, mm. San Jose, which is two for California, which is interesting, now that I'm in Los Angeles. It's a big place, man. It is. It, it really is. Phoenix, Chicago, Austin, and Denver. They should build one on top of that landfill where they found all the E.T. copies. In Alamogordo! That's be, genius! That'd be great. I don't think they would ever do that. There's nothing in New Mexico already! Yeah. Yeah. Besides that horrible mass grave. <laughs> um, Constant reminder of the sins of the past. Yeah. Now, we, we discussed a little bit earlier um, whether or not we considered this to be possibly inspired by... Is it called Galaxy's Edge? Is that this big Star Wars hotel That's, slash theme park? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, because they're, they're, they made a big deal out of how, like, you, in Galaxy's Edge, even the hotel is, like, an experience. Like, everybody's in character, and, and everything's Star Wars all the time. If you look out your hotel window, you see the stars. Like, so we're wondering, like, are we about to see, like, a, a trend of nostalgia-themed hotels and, like, bars and restaurants and things, like, springing up everywhere. Man, nostalgia prints money. Yeah, it does. It does. A couple things here that I wanted to bring up real quick. Uh, the first one, it starts in Phoenix, and it breaks ground in spring 2020. That's on your phone. Oh, crap. <laughs> That's my Best Buy ad. <laughs> Damn it! Uh, good shit, man. All right, all right. <laughs> fucking staring at you with wide-ass eyes. <laughs> like, whoa, what did I do? I'm still talking. <laughs> I haven't ummed or in like five minutes. <laughs> You're on a roll. Uh, just keep going. So, Atari, whose cult games include Pac-Man, Pong, Space oh, yeah. Invaders, Asteroids, and Cubert, oh. says the hotel will be a, and I quote, Unique lodging experience combining the iconic brand, I would quote, I would quote unquote iconic there, yeah. with a one of a kind video game themed destination. The Atari hotels will allegedly have a fully immersive experience, like I said, including augmented and virtual realities. Some will also come with esports venues, mm. which is at least a decent idea. Yeah, that'd be good. And according to Napoleon Smith the Third, who's uh agency GSD Group acquired the rights to build the hotels. Probably not for a whole lot, to mm -hmm. be honest. Yeah, probably not. Says that the hotels will have a nostalgic and retro meets modern look and feel. Which is a weird combination yeah. that I don't think works. You know how in Blade Runner, like, there's Atari signs everywhere? Yeah. This is how that's going to come to pass. Oh my god. Atari's going to become a hotel chain. We've got 20... This is like this is the year of Blade Runner. Oh, you're right. I was gonna say 2049, but no, we're already here, man. Yeah, it's happening, bro. Quote from uh, Smith: Let's face it, how cool will it be to stay inside Atari? Uh, dude, your your beds. You have two beds in the hotel, and they just slide back and forth like pong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the Pac-Man room just has fucking pills all over the floor, like <laughs> ec just ecstasy scattered all the floor. There's a cherry here and there. <laughs> Maybe a stopwatch. You have to hop up and down the escalators. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the diagonal escalators. The poor hotel staff have to run around with colored sheets on their heads. Oh, God. They all have different personalities. We're going to have to stay at one of these now. Oh, we will, yeah. It'll be absurdly expensive, but we will do it. Oh, God, yeah. At least, there's got to be at least, we at least got to spend at least one night. Yeah. For, for the good of the people. As two guys with a podcast. Yeah, as two fucking assholes with a podcast. We gotta get all up in that Atari, because how cool would it be to stay in an Atari? Uh, here's the thing that I don't get is, how many people are really still nostalgic for Atari, of all things? Yeah, the people who are nostalgic for Atari are getting real close to retirement at this point. They're fucking old, man. Yeah. Whatever. So, uh, moving on from there, uh, I wanted to give a little update from something we talked about last episode. Uh, last episode, we talked about how... Uh, the season 12 premiere of Doctor Who had surprisingly low ratings, like really uncharacteristically low. But low might be the new norm. It very much might be the new norm, yeah. Uh, because the most recent episode that aired at the time of recording, I think it might have been the fourth episode of the season, 
um, had the lowest ratings that the show has seen since 1986 with Colin Baker as the Doctor. Um, now, a little bit of Doctor Who history for you. If you don't know, Doctor Who is a very long-running show with a history of being put on hiatus and canceled. Um, in 1986, shortly after the lowest ratings of all time, the show was put on hiatus for about a year. It might have actually been in 1987, I'm not sure. Uh, but when the show finally came back um, with a new Doctor for about three years, the quality was much better, but so much viewership had been lost from the hiatus um, that the show was just canceled. And it, it was off the air throughout the entirety of the 90s, with the exception of a single TV movie, um, and for half of the early 2000s. It came back officially in 2005. Um, so I, I, there has been some legitimate concern from myself and others that uh, history might be repeating itself here. Um, the show is certainly pretty unpopular right now. There's, it has no business getting ratings as low as this. I think at the very least we're going to see Chris Chibnall gone as head writer and showrunner. There's no way Chibnall survives this. I I would be super skeptical if they if if it happened, especially well. It's like a sports team. If 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 uh, if the Atlanta Jayhawks <laughs> have the worst season <laughs> in 36 years, yeah. the head coach isn't going to stay very long. Yeah. So I can't see their head writer staying much longer after this season. Did you just make a fucking sports analogy on our nerd podcast? You just alienated all three of our viewers. Unbelievable. Sorry, guys. I'm trying to branch out. <laughs> but yeah, I think Chibnall's probably done. I think it's possible Jodie Whittaker will leave with him out of respect, although she has said that she's under contract for another year at least. Um, I don't really want Whittaker to go. I don't really, you know, mind her. But uh, I... I would like Chibnall to go, I can't lie. It's 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 scary because I don't want the show to go under again, but it's also kind of exciting because I really do think things need to change with the way the show is right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I have seen of Jodie Whittaker, yeah. which isn't anything different from last week, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. She's fine. Yeah. You listen to last week's episode to figure out what my actual thoughts are, which aren't much more beyond she's fine. Mm -hmm. But something's got to give here. But we won't ramble about Doctor Who again. Uh, Dakota, why why, why are we here today? What are we talking about? Uh, well, we're here because Discord wouldn't let us record for longer than ten minutes at a time. That is true. But to the podcast itself, outside of technical limitations, uh, we're here to discuss the history of video games as a service, going anywhere from, you know, uh, the early days of it to what it's becoming with Google Stadia and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So, just as a quick refresher course, uh, the idea of video games as a service isn't exactly a new one. It started in China, really, didn't it? It Actually, it did, which is part of the, it's part of the interesting uh, history mm -hmm. of it. Because the idea of games as a service kind of began with your MMOs, mm -hmm. your World of Warcraft, your RuneScape, your Path of Exile, for right. a more recent example. Right. Yeah. Or, of course, the multi-subscription. Yeah. And it was something you could turn, tune into every day, and it would be con consistently updated and changed, and it wasn't just one fixed product that was always changing. It was ever-evolving. Yeah. I mean, ever evolving. There's that shit's still evolving. RuneScape evolved backwards, so you could go and play retro RuneScape if you hate new RuneScape. Yeah, and yeah. we're on like expansion seven or eight yeah. for World of Warcraft. Yeah, but the real jump make these games as a whole, like almost an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Like Brian said, was with Chinese publisher Tencent, who uh, are like the only Chinese game developer because China China's a weird. Thing. I'm going to go on a quick side tangent on China. Oh, God. I'll... Hashtag free Hong Kong. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention it, but yes, free Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, beyond the atrocities of their government. <laughs> we don't want to get into that, man. They make some halfway decent video games. <laughs> <laughs> if you can ignore all the horrible human rights violations, <laughs> they make some pretty good video games. You know... The buildings are nice if you ignore the suicide nets. Oh my god! That's a real thing. <laughs> okay, let's... That's a real... Okay. Stay on okay. task. Stay on task. So, 
What I'm Tencent sorry. did was monetize mobile gaming. Yes. They're the reason we have your Candy Crushes oh. and all those weird, shitty Facebook ads. Yeah. Which, fortunately, you don't get to see. I avoid that shit, man. I Again, I wish I could. Uh, so really, some examples of your know, games as a service, of course, is your game subscription, your monthly fee, which, of course, you know, is a little, like, monet- kind of monetizing the whole, like, idea, you know, keep paying if you keep giving us more content. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's game subscription services, like, not just to a game, but this includes, like, Uplay Plus, uh, Origin Access, Xbox Game Pass, which you don't have to pay the full retail price for a game, but you're locked into their ecosystem. You're locked into, you don't really own it. You you pay for the privilege of kind of renting the games, mm-hmm. which I don't fully subscribe to. Yeah. And, of course, there's, you know, cloud gaming, which is kind of where Stadia comes in. Your Stadia, mm-hmm. your GeForce Now, where those of us, like me who just didn't have the money to build a sick-ass gaming PC until recently, can act finally play their PC games with their friends, provided they have a strong internet connection, which we'll get into that. We'll get into that. And then, of course, like all things, the allure of money is just too powerful, so microtransactions really rule these games as a service, uh, services. Not even just DLC or expansion packs. It's, of yeah. course, your loot boxes, your skins your uh charms yeah all that bullshit yeah um microtransactions really fuel the whole mobile games industry oh it's the only reason it's still profitable yeah i mean uh this was a while ago this was maybe six months or a year ago but i remember reading that pokemon go was still making on average almost a million dollars a day oh yeah and that was long after the craze died down yeah pokemon go to this day, I believe, is still the highest-grossing mobile game. Mm-hmm. And and part of the reason is because the microtransactions keep the revenue coming long after a game drops, which is not something that like a traditional physical game that you put in a console can really do. Yeah. Because if Pokemon Go, for example, had stayed with just the original 151 Pokemon, mm-hmm. it already would have been dead and gone. Right. They continue to update it, and they also continue to make you want to spend money... You buy eggs, you buy balls, you buy you berries. The, yeah, you yeah. got to get egg incubators, you yeah. got to get your lures, you got to get your raid passes. Yeah, yeah. All this bullshit. Uh, and I don't want to get into it, there's also season passes, battle passes, that's your Fortnite, that's yeah. your Rainbow Six Siege, that's yeah. uh, pretty much any Battle Royale game. Yeah, and, and technically, I would argue, even DLC, like the concept of DLC, is kind of like the first step of getting into video games as a service. Yeah, it's a very early example. Yeah, it's it's a way of making it so that it's a continuous updated experience. Um, usually with like a point of termination, most games don't have DLC until the end of time, but uh, yeah. Unless you're GTA 5 apparently. Yeah, they're, they're going to melt still that still updating forever. that shit. Yeah. Because um, it prints money, even now. Yeah. It's like, I, I, GTA 5, I believe, is the highest grossing video game itself. Really? Okay. Just because of all the money they people can pump into it with the shark cards, mm-hmm. so you can buy your fancy vehicles and your apartments and all that bullshit. And, and there's still only like five heists in the game. Yeah. So, do you have anything more you want to say about kind of the history and development, or do you want to get into the pros and cons, which we've outlined here? Oh, we can get right into the pros and cons. Okay. So, the pros are sort of few and far between, but they're like big pros. They're, they're, they're they're, uh, you can't, like, discount them necessarily. So, like, the first one we have marked here is that, uh, video games as a service generally generate more revenue for the gaming industry as a whole. Um, and that's both on the level of, like, big companies and, to a slightly lesser extent, the people who are actually working on the games. Uh, one thing when you have a game that's a continuous experience is that, there's going to be like a consistent team of people working on it instead of finishing a project and then immediately having to scramble to find like a new project. For one, it keeps if it's more freelance work, you mm-hmm. know, it keeps those people on longer. Yeah. It ideally would give them better pay. Mm-hmm. Or at least gives them longer pay. Yeah. Yeah, a little more security maybe. Um, now, from like the the big company perspective, that means you can milk and milk and milk one IP forever. 
Um, and then, and like have like a skeleton crew working on that original IP, patching, updating, stuff like that, while still pumping out new IPs, if you're so inclined, that you can also milk till the end of time. Yeah, that that's that's your Blizzard, that's, right. that's your newer EA. Right. Um, also, like mobile games, as we said, is something that could not have existed without this model, because microtransactions are so essential to that model. It's weird how people will pay $60 plus tax for, you know, your PlayStation 4 game, mm-hmm. but won't spend $4.99 on your mobile game. Right. Right, So yeah. it's it's easier, and of course it's more lucrative, mm-hmm. to have these free-to-play, pay-to-win style games, mm-hmm. as opposed to just releasing a good product to help people pay for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing is, this model kind of necessitates continuous updates, um, and continuous maintenance on a game, uh, which generally means that the consumer's experience with that game will continue to be fresh and, um, you know, again, well-maintained uh, in the long term. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I've put uh, about 430 hours mm-hmm. in Rainbow Six Siege. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. and that that's just 5v5 tactical first-person shooter. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's your classic, you know, save the hostage, disarm the bomb. Yeah. Other team has to shoot the bad guys. Other team has to shoot the guys that are trying to mm-hmm. disarm the bomb. And and they're still pumping out, I would say, DLC with, like, new characters mm-hmm. and every once in a while a new Updates, map. Updates, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, my kind of uh, lamer example would be with Splatoon, um, which, uh, you know... Splatoon 1, I put a substantial amount of time in, a few hundred hours. And the Splatoon 2, last I checked, it was 720 hours, uh, which is, like, I'm a little ashamed, but also incredibly proud of that. Um, And the Splatoon games are fun because all of the updates are completely free. Um, They did one paid DLC for Splatoon 2, but if you missed out on it, it did not really hurt your experience with the base game at all. And they were they were constantly releasing new gear, new weapons, new maps. They were always altering and improving and tweaking everything that was in the game, uh, constantly buffing, nerfing, um, even just altering the geography of maps for free, for totally free. Which, which the, the, Nintendo's the out. Sorry to cut you off there. No, Nintendo's, you're fine. Nintendo's kind of the outlier there. Yeah, unless you're mad about. <laughs> Pokemon right now. Oh, <laughs> I gotta pay 15 bucks for a year of Pokemon Home? Yeah, man, and $30 for two whole DLCs, which is half as much as you'd pay for another version of the game that you would have bought without complaining like 10 years ago. I bought Pokemon Gun. <laughs> Bro, it would have been Pokemon Crown or some shit. Yeah, yeah. Pokemon Gun would have been cool, though. Anyway, um, but like, <laughs> but like with Splatoon, I've, part of the reason I've been able to put so much time into it is because uh, they they've stopped updating it now because they're you know making Splatoon three already, but um, oh they are yeah I think so well the t- the same team that does Splatoon also does Animal Crossing so I think they stopped to, do, to finish Animal Crossing and I'm pretty sure Splatoon three is already in development oh it's got to be they haven't announced it but it, it's got to be right um, but my my point is just that is an example where like never ever ever would I could I ever imagine putting 720 hours into a game except that Splatoon makes it so easy to like keep coming back because they're they were they're always doing something new they're always adding something new um so you know there there is really something to to be said for this like kind of long form approach to to developing games and you know providing a, a better experience for for the players um and this last point, which I think we'll touch about touch on this more when we get into this the stadia specific part of this discussion, but um it potentially you know with uh services like what stadia offers um where games can be kind of run on remote servers and kind of streamed into your your own device, this makes it possible for people who can't afford or don't want a powerful p c to play games that they may have missed out on in the past. Yeah, it, it it, and this is probably the biggest one for me, mm-hmm. is that like I said before, you know the people who can't afford your two thousand dollar gaming machine, mm-hmm. it levels a playing field for them so they can play on the the laptop they bought for college, for You're example. Right. right. 
It is cool. It is cool. It, it's a it's it's a great it's a fantastic idea in theory. Yeah. Emphasis in theory. Yeah, because we'd be about to get to those cons. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, so Dakota, you want to lead us into the cons so we can be negative. Yeah, President Dakota can go ahead and get angry about games as a service. So the first one here that we have is uh, it's, it's it's an increase, of course, in pay to play game design. Like I said before, initially, especially with mobile games. The game is free, or it's 99 cents. Yeah. And that's way cheaper than your AAA titles, yeah. or even your indie your indie titles yeah. on the traditional console. And, of course, the games are more simple as a result. But yeah. Yeah. But the important thing is it's cheaper. It gives you that, it gives you that dopamine rush. I sure do. Which, oh, we'll get into that. Yeah. But microtransactions, they sneak up on you. Yep. You know, just because... Just because you know, the transactions are micro doesn't mean that the effect isn't macro. Mm-hmm. That was slick. Hey, that was slick. Hey, hey, hey. Because I've spent more than I'd like to admit, specifically on Nintendo uh, mobile games. Yeah. Fire Emblem Heroes, uh, Pokemon Go, quote-unquote, Nintendo game. Yeah. Even Miitomo. Remember that? Oh, I do remember that. Or uh, Animal Crossing Pocket yeah, Camp? Yes, yeah. Pocket Camp. Pokemon Go was I'm the sure, first one that really got me to spend money on an app. I, I'm sure if if there were a way to to total all that up, it it, it would easily be. It, 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 God damn it! Just for Pokemon Go, it's probably near a fucking hundred dollars. Yeah, I mean, I um, I I have pretty self pretty good self control even with Pokemon Go, um, because I really don't like microtransactions, but. They, this does kind of get, like, you, you kind of do feel like an addict after a while. Yeah. Where, like, where, like, you say to yourself, I'm just going to buy one more incubator, and then I'll be done forever. And then the next day you're buying another incubator. Just one more adventure box, man. That's all I need. Yeah, it, it's it's a weird feeling. Yeah, that, that, that that's pretty much your, the, the biggest con that I can think of. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. And also, the initial service is cheaper. Like, maybe it's free, maybe it's 99 cents or whatever, but... The microtransactions do really complicate that in the long run, um, and uh, this is something else that we talked about previously. the 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 idea of the whale when it comes to mobile gaming. Brian, what is a whale in regards to uh, these games as a service models? So basically, when um, specifically with mobile apps, when when they make an app free, they do it with the knowledge that a significant percentage of the people who download it will not spend much on microtransactions. But they do know that every once in a while, there's somebody who's kind of susceptible to pressure um, or temptation who will come along and spend a lot of money on that game. Or some maybe it's just somebody who has a lot of money to burn and they don't care. Uh, but those people are called whales. And basically, a relatively small percentage of the user base for an app is usually providing a large percentage of the income. Um... Which, like, the, a lot of the people who are still playing Pokemon Go are way into it, and if they've invested so much time and money, they're probably not going to stop investing time and money. Um, we knew a guy who we would occasionally see riding by Pokestops in our town, on like a, sometimes on a bike, sometimes in a car, and he like would, like, brag to us that he spent, like, $50 a day on the game, and that he'd been doing it for months. Um, and I'm sure that guy still does that. God, I hope not. That's insane. That's a real-life whale that we met. We saw a whale breaching in a pickup truck rolling by the public <laughs> library late at night. It wasn't as majestic as you would think when, you, really when you hear a whale breaching. Yeah, it was pretty uncomfortable. It, it, it's just it's just a, it's just a, a Silverado <laughs> creaking its way to yeah. the stop sign. And then you just look at them and think, oh, that person's being taken advantage of. But they, they're, like, proud of it. But then again, so am I, because yes. We all are. It's 8.30 at night, and I think the park's closed, but I'm sorry to walk around it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so that's a that's a con we actually didn't really mention here, is that there's some real moral gray areas with microtransactions. Um, for one thing, I think they're kind of, like, with apps, they're very inherently manipulative. They put a carrot in front of your face and then yank it away and make you beg for the carrot, basically. Um, why, why don't you talk to us about loot boxes, Dakota? That's a very infamous example of this. Oh, God. All right. I was going to lead with, like, your Candy Crush and your games that have, like, life meter or anything. Yeah. Or, like, a stamina bar. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you can only play 
five or six times in a 24-hour period. Yeah. Or if you kick me back a couple bucks, you can play again. Yeah, or like one hint a day, or if you lose, you get to start where you left off like once a day. A lot of apps do that, yeah. Yeah, and it's getting a little better mm-hmm. with like you watch an ad. Yeah. For another shitty mobile game, yeah. instead of <laughs> by the same guy, in, instead of paying you know ninety nine cents mm-hmm. for another hint or another try, yeah. But loot boxes specifically, I'll make no bones about it. They're legalized gambling for children. Yeah, they really loot are. boxes are a disgusting practice. Yeah, I hate them. It's manipulative. It, God, it God. Pre- it preys on God all the damn wrong. It, Overwatch. Yeah. Or uh, CSGO was a bad one for Oh, CSGO time. was awful. Yeah. But, like, specifically with Overwatch, yeah. fuck, I spent, like, 30 bucks on loot boxes. I felt awful afterwards. I didn't it, get anything yeah. out of them. It preys on all the wrong people, too. Because, like you said, it does tend to affect young people. Like, really young people. Like, there's people I know, when Overwatch was big, who had spent several hundred dollars on loot boxes. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's a whole market for Counter-Strike Global Offensive skins. Yes. Skins? Yeah. There are fucking skins for virtual knives that cost more than my car. Yeah, they don't even ha- they don't have any real functionality. They just look nice and they're rare. It's like a shittier cryptocurrency. Yeah. <laughs> the business of the future will not be dealt with cash or Bitcoin. <laughs> the loot boxes. But with rare CSGO skins. <laughs> I fucking hate loot boxes. They're, they're, they're the worst. Uh, I remember as early as high school having a friend who was way into CSGO. Again, very, very, like, with a little touch of pride, was like, I've been trying to get this one skin for weeks, and it's just not happening, you know? I've, I've spent, like, practically, like, a, a couple of paychecks on this at this point. And I'm like, then stop! Yeah. But it's a, it's a, like, it's a legitimate gambling addiction. It is. That's the whole thing. The idea, like I said, with these, again, virtual knives. Yeah is that if you get the right one, it can negate, you know, what you spent getting to it. Right, yeah, so you're spending money to make money to spend money, essentially. I, I worked in one of those shitty video gaming places mm-hmm. for a while. It wasn't shitty, I, I really liked the job. But I, I, my job was to sit there and watch someone put, like, $100, $200 into a machine, hoping to walk out with double that. Right. And usually walking out with, like, uh, some gummy bears that I packed up. Yeah. Free snacks. And if you would watch, like, I specifically remember when, when CSGO was still huge. Um, if you would watch, like, when people would roll for skins, it would be like, you know, you'd, you'd watch all the possibilities roll by. And it's it's a little bit like watching a slot machine or, or, or a roulette or something, where it's like, you're seeing all of the possible wins roll past you, which only makes you want to try again. Exactly. Yeah. And for a while, like I said, with the height of CSGO... Uh, oh my gosh. Makes me sick. <laughs> like I said, with the height of CSGO, there were entire, like, I, I, I guess genres. Yeah. There were entire streams just dedicated to opening loot boxes. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! The people were... Hundreds, if not thousands of people would sit around and watch a guy drop 200 bucks uh-huh. on loot boxes just to see what he gets. Right, and, and here's the thing. You get the ultra rare one and you screech and all of your, you know, all your everybody in your Twitch chat spams their favorite emotes and stuff. And then the high fades and you're like, what, what else cool stuff I could get? Like, it's, it's a very temporary pleasure. Because, again, it has no functionality. It just looks nice. Or you sell it. Yeah, there's a whole market. Well, I mean, I I think part of the problem is, like, it's gambling, it's often very predatory, um, and we've all seen the, like, billions of news stories about this, you know, middle schooler stole his parents' credit card and spent $800 on loot boxes from such and such, you know? Yeah. Um, Which sometimes I think those are a little bit like, video games, bad! Like, a little bit, like, meant to get your attention, like, gotcha articles. Um, but it is a real problem. Less so now than it was, but, um... I didn't even think of gotcha games. You said, you said gotcha article. Mm-hmm. I'm like, god damn it. Yeah, gotcha games are... Yeah, gotcha games are... That's the entire... Premise. Yeah. Like, it, it's gambling for mobile games. Yeah. Because, I don't know, playing, like, 
Fire Emblem Heroes, yeah. which I, I, I played a lot of. Or Fate Grand Order, you know, you gotta spend the money to get your waifu. Okay. And you gotta get the five-star waifu. If you get the four-star uh. waifu, it's not fucking good enough. Mm. Well, one, one of the ways I know that Pokemon Masters is not the best app in the world is that I never really got that sucked into the the gotcha aspect of it. I did it for a while, and then I was like, I don't really care about getting these guys that much. I just yeah, I already forgot about Pokemon Masters. I, I got like 30 bucks on that yeah. the first week. I wanted one five-star, and once I had it, I was like, Alright, I'll do this for as long as I'm playing it, but I don't care that much. And I never once spent money on it, so... Yeah, I spent like 30 bucks on it in the first week. Shameful child. Indeed I am. Alright, I think that's enough on that. Yeah, on um, microtransactions and things. So another thing that, uh, you know, this is a smaller picture issue, but as rapidly aging people, we're basically elderly now. Um, yeah, I'm in my 20s. Yeah, mood. <laughs> it uh, this one really gets me. Um, so one thing we want to talk about is that the games as a service model, while it may generate more revenue and possibly provide a more like seamless long-term experience, uh, it also ultimately does put less power in the hands of the consumer. Um, for instance, like we all hate how like GameStop will like shaft you on, you know, used games and things like that and how they'll give you like $5 for like a mint console or whatever. Um, but this will make it like 100%, you know, this this model makes it impossible to resell uh games, which is basically half of Dakota's livelihood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I noticed that in the uh in the outline here you in parentheses half of Dakota's livelihood. Yeah, it's true. I, I whenever Dakota's a little short on cash, he sells a fuckload of his games. Hey man, I gotta fund them waifu somehow. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> oh man. But also beyond reselling games, it also makes it impossible to share games with friends. Yeah, you don't want to give your login info. Yeah. To your friends, why would you? Why would you share your personal info on the internet? Well, and this is one of the things people would shit on the Xbox One for when it was first dropping was that there were like systems in place to make sure that uh, a game had to be, like... didn't Wasn't it that, like, the game had to be registered to a specific console so it couldn't be played on other consoles? Yeah, they were going to do away with used <coughs> games. Yeah. And I don't know if you know that or not, uh, used games are a whole-ass market. Yeah, they're, like, almost an industry unto themselves. And not even just GameStop. There's there's uh, your local mom-and-pop, like, retro video game stores. We've, we've got a great one by us. I want, I want to plug them, but I don't want to dox us. Yeah, let's not. So, uh... Kyle, we love you. Yeah, we do love you, Kyle. But yeah, it's it's almost an industry unto itself. Um, it's certainly a market unto itself. And this 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 is a way in which, like, yes, you get more revenue by making it so that you know people can't borrow games from friends, people can't resell uh, games, and then you know other people get it for cheaper as as a used game. So you're getting more revenue, but it's also making the product less friendly to the consumer. Um, Which that's where you get the revenue from. Right. I was never a huge person to swap video games with my friends, but I did do it sometimes, and it's always bummed me out to know that we're getting further and further away from that being a possibility. Um, yeah, like, we're at the point now where not even sharing games, like, couch co-op is, like, a marketable feature at this point. Yeah, yeah, because it had, like, one foot in the grave for so long and people missed it. Thanks, Nintendo. Oh, thank you, Nintendo. Blessed Daddy Nintendo. I understand now. <laughs> so, you know, that that is something that I think is worth considering. Like, not only does it actively prey on people, but it also disadvantages people in how flexible they can be with the games that they own. Now we're down to the big question. Can most Americans and you know, other places... Yeah, you know, those like, other not-America places... Third world countries like Canada. <laughs> like Great Britain. <laughs> Can they really stream a whole ass game effectively? Yeah. Which I actually put a decent amount of effort into this one. Yeah. Like I, I looked up numbers and everything. Dakota, I gotta pull them up now. Dakota did his homework. He did his research. I did. I'm going to read from the researcher's best friend, the so Wikipedia. The source of all sources, yes. Overall internet speeds by uh, Akamai Technologies. This is quarter one, twenty seventeen. So it's 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 been you know, three years at this point. But the highest uh, ranked country with an average internet connection speed 
with South Korea with 28.6 megabit per second, which, you break it down, uh, one megabit per second is an eighth of a megabyte. So in order to download one megabyte per right. second, you would need eight, eight megabits per second of right. internet speed. Right. And specifically for, like, Stadia, and we haven't mentioned uh, NVIDIA, which is a graphics card maker, they have GeForce Now, which is basically a game streaming service. They use their hardware, and you stream the game to your inferior hardware. Google Stadia, like, the, the minimum is 10 megabit per second, I believe. And that's for 720p. Yeah. <laughs> barbaric. God. Absolutely barbaric. Where it recommends... 25 or 35 if you're one of those uh, bleeding-edge weirdos who bought a 4K monitor. Uh, hope you're enjoying your $500 graphics card. Fucking Radeon Vega. I'm sure this connects with so many people. This witty dialogue about graphics cards. Literally just me. <laughs> this is for Dakota. <laughs> but in quarter one 2017, the United States had the 10th fastest Average connection. There's you know, Norway, Sweden, Hong Kong, Switzerland, etc. But the U.S., 10th highest, with an average of 18.7. So, three years ago, people like you and I, in middle America, don't really have the infrastructure to be able to stream these things. Mm -hmm. And th this is a weird sticking point for me, because I worked for an internet company for a period of time. And the number one complaint that I got when people called in was that my internet's too slow... I'm trying to play video games, but I'm lagging so goddamn hard. And, like, I get it, DSL's pretty depreciated. There's, you know, there's cable, mm -hmm. and there's fiber. I, I can get into the pros and cons on cable and DSL and fiber. And that, that's it's probably a discussion for another time. You're already yawning, so I'm not going to mm -hmm. get into it. Yeah, oh yeah. I'm a sweepy boy. The big thing I want to get into here is that, you know, uh, Joe Gamer in fucking Fargo, North Dakota... What are you laughing at with that? What are you laughing? What's funny about Joe Gamer? Everything is funny. This is such a weird Joe Gamer. <laughs> Imagine a fucking politician at their podium talking about I care what happens to Joe Gamer in Middle America. <laughs> Don't laugh at my Don't laugh at my policy. So, so Dan Video Game, out in, like, I don't know, Athens, Georgia, but that, that's a bigger city. Kansas, somewhere. Yeah. Smallville, Kansas. Yeah. Uh, Clark Kent in Smallville, Kansas. I was yeah, goddammit, I was trying to think of, like, another video game pun, but yeah. Clark Kent out in Smallville, Kansas, yeah. where the only, and this is another thing, the, where the only internet choice is, like... AT&T. Yeah. Or uh, your local, if you're lucky enough to get a local ISP. Yeah, that's a big problem in America. That, that's for a whole different episode. Um, he, doesn't, he can't get the speeds yeah. because the, the data center is off in, like, Overland Park or something, which yeah. is, like, Kansas City. Yeah. Out, out in the big city is what I'm saying. Yeah, Clark's internet is far slower than a speeding bullet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is. Nice. Yeah, thank you. But, uh, what I did look at, that was, again, that was from Akamai Technologies. Quarter 1, 2017. What I found from speedtest.net. Which is more recent. Which I is think. more, it's, it's from last month, actually. Okay. Uh, America is 11th ranked, mm -hmm. but for your fixed broadband, which is Comcast, Spectrum, internet coming over over cable, your average download speed is 130 megabits per second, which is insane. Because I, I, I read an yeah. article, and again, this is going back into ISPs, yeah. where they were taking, where certain ISPs were taking money from the FCC and then not rolling out their broadband. Mm. So they got the money, but they're not doing anything with it. They're they're still they're still keeping the their shitty like. 5 megabit per second internet. Interesting. Because I was going to say, I find that figure very, like, questionable. I feel... Living in America, I, I doubt that number. Yeah, because you know? where I live, uh, of course, is the Comcast monopoly. Yes. It's expensive as all get out, but the speeds are good. Yeah. 
Like, I, I, I average actually higher than 130 megabit per second. Yeah. But I feel like the numbers are skewed because, and this is a big thing, it's roll out a fiber optic internet. Mm-hmm. With your your gig speeds, what they, is what they say, like gigabit up, gigabit down. Right. So you're blazing through your downloads now, but that's if you live in a major metropolitan area. Right. Yeah, and I, I will say, like, I live in a relatively small town, and um, but when I was in college, I was in a pretty large college town. Um, the speed, the like download speed from here to there is night and day. Like, I never once had an internet problem living, um, you know, by my college. But here, well, if I didn't have internet problems, we would not be recording this in person. Let's just say that. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah, and I, I I did a little bit of research too, and I've seen that like North Dakota and like Nebraska had a download speed in like the twenties, um, which is far lower than what 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 was what was the number? Uh, the average number that I got again from speedtest.net download speed one hundred thirty point seven nine right. megabit per second, upload forty nine point five three. Right. Which I want to beat the guy that's getting fifty megabit up. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky if I get five up. Yeah. That that's that's a just a a nitpick on my end. Yeah, so I, that statistic seems very skewed. Um, it's incredibly skewed toward your big cities with your fiber optic rollout. Yeah. Google Fiber and all that. So anyway, we'll probably talk about it a little bit more when we get into the Stadia discussion uh, coming up. Um, a real simple question we have among the consolists is, you know, what happens if the service goes under? If you If you are subscribed to a service that allows you to stream games... Um, to your home or that allows you to kind of rent games online or you know whatever if that service goes under a lot of times those games don't stay in your ownership um sometimes they do some 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 places are a little bit better about that yeah but but like and even even on a lower scale like there was a game that i played for a hot mini called hellgate london okay which that that's again like an mmo yeah but you know, I put all this time and money into it with the, you know, the monthly subscription and all that nonsense, mm-hmm. and the service went down, and the company, like, ran out of money. Mm-hmm. And so all, all that time and effort I put into Hellgate London is for naught. I can't log back in and play because right. there's no servers. Right. Anyway, let's get into that that big, big, big discussion about Google Stadia. Yeah, so Stadia, all in all... Uh, this isn't just me, uh, this isn't just us being crotchety old men. Yeah. Stadia's a terrible idea. Yep, it is. It just, like like we said, for all to spent <laughs> rambling about, about the concept of games as a service, Yeah. we haven't even gotten to Stadia itself. All of that shit applies to Stadia. Of course, um... And that is a lot of shit. There's a, yeah. And on top of that, Brian, what else is there? Well, so Stadia is complicated from, like, a cost perspective. The base cost for generic Stadia is $129. Um, now, for if you don't know how Stadia works, Stadia does not automatically give you access to all the games you don't own. You still have to individually buy games through the Stadia store or subscribe to them if they themselves are a game offered as a service, if it's more long-term. Basically, you get access to a store and the ability to stream it to whatever device you have, even if it's shit. So, you have to pay Stadia to have access to their store Yes. to buy their games. Yes. And I swear to God, I saw something where the games are still the, still the same yeah, I think, MSRP, $6. I, I think I think most of them are. And and to be fair, like $129 for a console is quite cheap. Um, yeah. But, here's the kicker. There's also Stadia Pro, which is the subscription service. Oh, wow. And so Stadia... This might be a subscription service just with Stadia. No. Um, I would be inclined to almost compare Stadia to, like, Steam, where it's like a, it is a it is a marketplace you can go to to buy games, but then you also have the added benefit of being able to stream it to your device. Yeah, but even there, the Steam controller is, yeah. like, half the cost. Anyway... Um, Stadia Pro is what allows you to stream your games in 4K. With the standard Stadia, you can do standard HD, um, which for me is like perfectly fine, whatever. Um, but Stadia Pro gives you the 4K, it gives you better sound quality, etc. Plus some, some games 
in the Stadia Store catalog will be free to you. If you discontinue your subscription, you lose those free games, which I suppose is fair. Stadia Pro uh, subscription is $10 a month, which people fucking complain about Pokemon Home being $15 a year, you know. Yeah, when, like, your PlayStation Plus is, I think, 50 now. Yeah. yeah. And, like, your Xbox Live is 60 Yeah. So, if you want the most quality you can get out of Stadia, which, you know, through the Stadia Pro, um, then you're paying $129 for the base, you're paying $120 a year, and you have to individually purchase many of these games, some of which can be up to, like, $60. So, are games as a service actually cheaper in the long run? Because, yes, you don't have to spend $2,000 on a gaming PC, but you're going to rack up plenty of charges another way, and you might not even have the adequate internet to stream it properly. It might sound cheap now, but if you stick with Stadia for two, three, four years, right. it's going to end up being more expensive than if you had just buckled yeah. down and like yeah. paid 800 bucks for like a, a pre-built Alienware or something. And yeah. Well, and, and in fairness, it sounds like you could get a lot out of Stadia without getting Stadia Pro. So, you know, fine. Now, one thing that caught me off guard when I was looking at the actual, like, Stadia website, there was mention of a Player 2 controller, and it said for more information, like, visit our FAQ page, and I went to it and didn't find a single scrap of information about it. Supposedly, it is something that is coming soon with some kind of additional cost. I don't know if it would be a full $129, but basically, if you want to play, like, couch co-op with somebody, you will have to buy a whole other controller, which... I don't know. It couldn't. It's. It, it wouldn't be that expensive. It wouldn't be one hundred twenty nine dollars. So there's one other thing I want to touch on with Stadia before we wrap things up because we've been doing this for damn near an hour. Google is is weird. None of their stuff really meshes, which is yeah. weird. They're they're really trying to push that they were until the backlash. They were really trying to push Stadia, like the future of gaming, when Google isn't really all that friendly to gaming itself. Right. Specifically on where I would assume they would want to advertise their products on YouTube. Yeah. Gaming content on YouTube is a goddamn minefield yes. at this point. Yeah. They actively strangle the people who try to toe that line just so they can maybe make some money. Because YouTube has always been a lost leader. Yes, it like has. They, YouTube has never made a profit. Despite the two, three ads you will see uh, on you know your videos... So I don't know, it's, of course it's always good to, to mitigate your losses, yeah. but Google promoting their video game platform, which I would assume would have mature content on it, you it know, does. your AAA shooter titles. Yeah, they've definitely shown some of those off in their, their advertising. But then you can't go ahead and monetize that because it looks bad with all the killing and maybe the drugs yeah. and maybe if you see a titty. Well, and, and their their whole thing is that, like, Stadia is going to, like, bring expensive, like, AAA titles to, like, the masses, to, like, people who can't afford, like, high-quality computers to, to play them and stuff. But at the same time, they constantly demonetize videos on YouTube from people who are reaching that broader audience. So they're, they're you know, they're actively kind of suppressing their own product, um, which is weird. It's... It doesn't make any sense. So, of course, as is with all things in Google, uh, in the researches, I did find a website. Uh, it's killedbygoogle.com. Oof. Which, Not looking good for Google. <laughs> so what Killed by Google is, it is a website that lists every product or service or app that Google has made that it has then killed off. So, scrolling through here, we'll slow down a little bit. They already killed YouTube Gaming, which is supposed to be their big gaming platform, which would get less players. There, there it, is. it is. There it is. Killed eight months ago. YouTube Gaming, for those of you who don't remember, it was a video gaming-oriented service and app for videos and live streaming. You know, less plays for your videos. Yes. For, you know, for games. It was built just for that. It lasted four years. A lot of this stuff lasts two, three, four years if it doesn't catch on or if it just gets depreciated nine or ten years old, it's just, like, old stuff that they depreciated out. Yeah. Well, it's funny, because for the longest time, like, Let's Players and people like that had to really fight for their place in YouTube. 
like, to, to have YouTube, like, take them seriously and value their content. And then, you know, before you know it, they're, like, the biggest content creators on YouTube. You know, PewDiePie's yeah. huge to this day. Yeah, we've gone from people like uh, Wings to Redemption playing Call of Duty or Darkside Phil oh, playing Call of Duty yeah. Um, yeah. to PewDiePie, <coughs> the biggest name in YouTube, yeah. like, ever. Gaming is huge for YouTube. And for, like, a, for, for that four-year period, they were like, maybe we should pay attention to gaming. And then they axed it. And then, of course, they didn't make a profit because YouTube doesn't make a goddamn profit at all. Right. So they axed it. Yeah. And that's the big thing to remember with Google. The bottom line is always money. Yeah. And if Stadia doesn't make money, I'll, I'll bet right now, mark my word, Stadia won't survive five years. I, I'd be amazed if it lasted that long, honestly. Five years from now, we're going to look back, hopefully still doing the podcast. Yeah. Hopefully with more than, like, five subscribers. Mm-hmm. And... We'll be able to see Google Stadia sitting right there at killedbygoogle.com. To wrap up, I think that games as service, I think that model has its place. Um, I think it's nice to have continuously updated games. I think, um, although I have my problems with microtransactions, I do like having like free phone apps. You know, as uh, The reason we broke this down into a pros and cons list is because there are pros and cons. Ultimately, I think I lean away from the model. Um, I certainly lean away from Google Stadia. I don't care for it. I don't like Google that much as a company generally, um, and I think there's, I think there's so many problems beneath the surface, um, that are kind of being ignored. Um, so, uh, how, how do you feel as a uh, overall about this? Overall, uh, just first off, because we're talking about Stadia, it's a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. It'll be dead soon, hopefully. Hopefully. And we can get back to... We're not going to get back to the old the old days of you know going to GameStop and buying yeah. the latest release. Or the old, old days of blowing in your cartridge when it didn't work. Exactly. Yeah. Like, we're, we're not going to go back to that. It, it'll be like what CDs are now. Yeah. Still an option, but most people are doing things digitally. Yeah. Um... And games as a service in general, unfortunately, they're here to stay. Yeah. It, it's a proven money maker. Very much so, yeah. I don't like it, but what do I know? It, it, it it's what the gaming industry has become. Yeah. Well, and, for better or worse. And you know what? Something something we should talk about that just just occurred to me is that I've often heard the console making game described as um, like a a losing battle. That, like, consoles are so expensive to produce that you usually lose money on the actual sales of the console and you have to hope that you make the money back through sales of content. Which, that's one way Nintendo is is very lucky in that it has a shitload of exclusives that a lot of people who have money are nostalgic for. But, like, Microsoft is in an awkward position because, like, they took over with the Xbox and the Xbox 360 by making their consoles as, like, ridiculous as possible. Like, making them extremely powerful by the standards of the time, despite taking a huge financial loss on the console itself. But that got them into the game by kind of overextending themselves by developing the consoles. But then the Xbox One, all of a sudden, they didn't really make that money back. As far as I can tell. Or at least they, they, they severely undersold the Xbox One. Yeah. Um, so, so my thing is, like, one reason why things like Stadia might be a more appealing option um, to some companies is that it is so costly to produce consoles, especially nowadays. Yeah, I didn't even thought of that. Yeah. Counterpoint on that. Okay. Uh, the cost of running those data centers. Yeah, the servers, yeah. Yeah, you, you've got to handle terabytes yes. yeah, that is of true. data coming in and out, all that hardware running 24-7, yeah. it can't go down. Right. You know, if, if it goes down for maintenance, people are going to get mad. Yeah. And as I understand it, that's one of the reasons why YouTube struggles to make a profit. Yeah, YouTube can't make money because of assholes who upload 10-hour compilations, mm. like 10-hour videos of, like, a six-second clip. Right. And, and And it's not even just, like, owning the servers and, you know, paying for the electricity to run those servers, you also have to own or rent massive amounts of space, huge warehouses full of servers, you know? Yeah. Um, which is, is a problem. I hadn't even thought of that, so that is an excellent counterpoint. 
I think that Stadia will probably be a flash in the pan. Already, I think people don't talk about it and don't like it, um, for the most part. I haven't seen much buzz for it. Yeah, much like everything else on our podcast, we're like nine months too late to talk about this. Yeah, we are late to the party, but goddammit, we were going to talk about it. And I feel better about it. Yeah. It, it was, it was, it's kind of cathartic. It's nice to sit in our little echo chamber and talk about how much we hate things and how they're going to fail. God, I, I understand how Twitter works now. Oh, man. So uh, speaking of, uh, you can find me, Dakota, on Twitter and Instagram at Dak Russellford. Can't uh, find me anywhere. Brian's still an internet ghost. You can find the podcast itself on Castbox, which is where they go up before they get disseminated to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, and whatever third-party apps you want to use. Like I used to use uh, Podcast Addict before I switched over to Spotify. Thanks for listening. Listening, yeah. Thanks for listening. You know, like I'm Dakota. I'm Brian. And this has been Cthulhu Light Show.